Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 252, A Thing You Have to Do, recorded September 11th, 2016, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the only show on the internet where geeks rant doesn't happen anywhere else, only here. I am your host, Mark, sometimes known as the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, and joining me this week, kind of as always, I... I, I Maybe I'll stay as always next week. Are are your friends and mine? Uh, uh, wow, the it's it's so hard. It's so ingrained in me to do the exact same intro every time. And when I got to Chris Neves, Chris isn't here. Sad sad emoji. All right. Uh, are your friends and mine? Seth the Gooey Kid Anderson and Miles still working on it. Uh, wake him. Hey guys. Hello, hey, Mark, and welcome to the faithful element opiates who have survived the journey. Wow, I can't I can't follow that. Yeah, hi. <laughs> um, somebody uh, referred to you, Miles, as the coin master, uh, the Bitcoin master. In I like that. Recently. That is kind of yeah. cool, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you actually had that in the listener feedback <laughs> right. for today. Oh, is it today? Okay. Yes. We there it is. Yeah. Okay. That's why it sounded so familiar. I just read it today, or reread it today. I read them all when they come in. Um. Anyway, hey everybody! Uh, I don't want to go too far without stopping to uh, to mention uh, the fact that today is the fifteenth anniversary of uh, not what is currently commonly known as nine eleven uh, in the U.S. It's a holiday called Patriots Day, um, the day bad people did bad things in the name of their God. Um, and I don't want to I don't want to spend too much time on it. There's there's lots of maudlin introspection all over the place. Um, and I think really sort of the best tribute we can do, the best way that terrorism loses is if we just, you know, move on with our lives. So unless you guys have any comments, I plan to just move on with our lives. No, uh, you did a good job. All right. Thanks. Yeah. Go with that. Um, so I, I just wanted to say that uh, I had sort of a weird, uh, you know, turning the turning of the wheel kind of moment. Uh, I went to my first high school band game as a parent. I mean, high school football game as a parent this week. Uh, my oldest daughter, she's only in the eighth grade, but uh, the uh, the high school that she'll be going into next year, that, that her school is a feeder school of, uh, has uh, an eighth grade band night um, every every year. And the eighth graders go and march, or actually stand on the field after the marching is done with the high schoolers and play a couple of songs. Uh, so she did that. So I went to uh, Kell High School uh here uh, in North Georgia and uh, the Kell Longhorns, and I watched some high school football, which uh, I do enjoy high school football. There's just a certain charm to it, you know, the the grandstanding and that stuff you see in the pros isn't there. But also I watched my kid uh, out on the field playing the same instrument, literally the same physical piece of metal that I played uh, uh, several years ago, many years ago, out on the field. And it was just, uh, you know, I've gone from being a band geek to a band dad. Yeah, no, yeah, man, that's we're getting older. <laughs> yeah, and well, I just, and had, to, I, so I ahead, just had to go through the whole high school experience with my daughter, who did cheer. So yes. I had a whole different side of the <laughs> the stadium to sit at and watch. So that so was fun. My kids are fourteen, twelve, and eight, and the eight year old didn't make it past halftime. So my wife took her home, uh, and the, of course the fourteen year old was was doing the band thing, and so it was me and the twelve year old sitting together on the stands watching football. And uh, she 
she said to me, can we do this every week? And I said, well, in a couple years, yes, this is going to be your life because she's also in the band. Uh, but then today, when I was watching football, she came down to the man cave and sat on the couch with me and watched football with me. And that was the coolest thing ever. She's never expressed any interest in the game at all. But sitting there, you know, uh, on Friday night, she had literally nothing else to do, no distractions. So I got to explain to her, this is what's going on. This is what's go- you know, why they're doing this. They they took a timeout now because of this, and the coach is probably saying this to the team while they're taking that timeout, and you know, watch and see if they make this adjustment. She was like, wow, how did you know all that? Well, you know, I've been watching this game. I never played it, but I've been watching it for, you know, decades, so I, I know a little about it. But it was really kind of a cool thing to see her take some interest in it. I don't know how long it'll last, but for now I'm enjoying, you know, having a, a little cuddle buddy while I watch football. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds fun, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm I'm a little older than a lot of parents with you know so my kids are younger than the everybody else I went to school with people I went to school with are posting on Facebook about their grandkids and my oldest is 14 we just you know we had a little bit of a late start but uh, you know I'm I'm the old guy sitting sitting there in the stands and and there were some people around me oh do you have a kid playing well in the band and and this woman's like you know 31 and she's got a middle schooler out there and it just made me. Made me sad, really. <laughs> all right. So that's all about that. Seth, I can tell by your orangeness that you are not back at home in your regular recording place. Nope. This is the start of my last week in Delaware. I fly home Friday morning. Um, so I get to Friday morning, I get to wake up extra early and drive to the Philadelphia airport and fly back to Dallas. I will be very happy to get back home. Are you still in the bait and switch hotel? Yep. Still in this crappy garbage <laughs> scowl of a place that has, you know, I will give them their due, the best front desk people ever, but unfortunately they're in the worst hotel I've ever stayed at. And I, and that that's, I've been thinking about it for like a week solid now, and this is officially in my memory, the worst hotel I've ever stayed at. Wow. But you know, I mean, Hey, maybe other people have had better results, but, uh, yeah. Fun times here in Delaware. I once stayed at a, at a, a motel. I, I wouldn't even call it a hotel out in West Texas. And it, it was so small that you could not open the door fully to the bathroom. It hit the toilet. So you had to squeeze through the door half open and close the door to be able to use the sink, which was behind the door. So the sink was behind the door and the toilet was behind the sink and the to- and the tub uh, shower combo was beside the toilet and the door hit the toilet. So that's how small it was. Um, and you had to squeeze in and, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a big guy. Squeezing is not my forte. Right. Uh, and so I'm standing there trying to brush my teeth literally with my butt pressed up against the door behind me. Um, it wasn't a terrible place. It was just really tiny. Yeah, no, I've, I've stayed in motels that I've enjoyed much better than this. So, but yeah, fun times, fun times. You ever done the math? on a hotel room uh, i mean assuming uh like 80 percent occupancy um and assuming you know let's say they're 80 percent occupied 50 percent of the days of the month you know a hotel room is bringing in something like three hundred thousand times what a rental on a one-bedroom apartment would be uh, right. and yet they're all complaining about you know we're going to save money by washing your towels every other day or not changing your sheets or that kind of thing how can they really be that cash-strapped if they're making a 300,000% markup. Again, you're forgetting the executive bonuses. 
You mark your keep. You don't factor that into any of your economic equations. But no, this hotel is even better. They have bootlegged the cable from somewhere else. Because (laughs) when I found the um, TV guide page, it has something hot spring spa across the top of it. And none of the channels match up to the channels. Like it says, you know, HBO channel 24, this is showing. I go to 24, that's a sports channel. ABC channel 8, I go to channel 8 and they're talking in Spanish. And then it says, you know, oh look, there's this channel I want to watch on 65. Wait a minute, it only goes up to 61. So yeah, they're making money hands over fists here because they're I'm really seriously thinking about looking up that place and then uh, writing Comcast because, you know, we all know how much Comcast is awesome and ask them how they like hotels ripping off their cable signal. It just. And and charging you $15 a night for Wi-Fi and parking and, you know, the dollar bottle of water, actually $3 bottle of water at the minute bar. Yeah, there's so many, there's not one big thing here, but you know, it's not the big thing that ruins your stay because the big thing becomes the thing you talk about and laugh about. It's the death of a thousand cuts, the preponderance of the little nitpicky stuff that just makes you go, I hate this place with a passion that would make (laughs) me seem like I love Apple. That that's, that's for all the people who've listened to us. That's how bad I don't like this place. I don't like to stay in Hilton brand. Uh, not the Hilton chain, but the the hotels with Hilton on the the building, because right. they make me feel like an ATM more than a guest. Uh, <laughs> right. There's there's the twenty five dollar you rang the doorbell fee, uh, and the the toilet paper fee, and it just, everything has a fee, and, and you know just that's I don't think I've, I've read Conrad Hilton's biography. That's not the way he would want his hotels to be run. No. Uh l- yeah. Fun time. I love man. I love traveling. It's awesome. Great times were had by all. Miles, you're a world traveler, literally. What do, what do you have to say? I've had some really weird experiences in hotels before and, and all over the place. And the only one that comes to mind, well, a lot of them come to mind, but this one experience I had was in San Francisco probably about 10 years ago. Uh, I was looking for a place to stay in the city. And this was back in the days where I had nowhere near as enough money to really be able to travel to San Francisco. And uh, I found a hotel on... I don't know where I found it, one of these, you know, Expedia type things. And it was some old building that was somewhere in the middle of the financial district. And I remember I came in at about eight o'clock at night. I got a cab from the airport to the hotel. I got to the hotel, checked in. The guy at the desk seemed to know what he was doing. He gives me a key. He says, you're in room 302 or whatever. I go into this elevator, which was built about the time San Francisco had a big fire. I think it was one one of those old metal framed elevators you know so i went in that that thing's great creaked as it went up the building i got off on the third floor i went over to my room i put the key in the door unlocked the door opened the door and there's a guy half naked on the bed i swear to god he's uh, he's given me somebody else's room and this guy is sitting there watching i don't know what he's watching on tv and in walks a stranger hello uh (laughs) sorry (laughs) and straight back down to the front desk i went and I thought, you know, I'm in San Francisco, but this is ridiculous. Well, at least he was so. only half naked. So there's yeah. that. He was lucky, I think. Well, maybe I was. I don't know. You <laughs> got there I, too I, soon. <laughs> I can't get that out of my mind. It's, you know, it's been years and I still, you know, hundreds of hotels since then, but that one still rings a bell. Yeah. I mean, how hard is it to, to you know, put a piece of uh, a line through a room on a piece of paper that says nobody goes in there? Yeah. But you know, if your room key opened up his room, 
that makes you wonder does the same room key open up every room could you just gone <laughs> tried others or at that point i was not going to try anything man i was just, <laughs> just put me in a closet i don't care just i'm not walking out of other people's rooms anymore now i've never had that happen to me personally but i've had it people to people traveling with me have walked in on people in in rooms uh same situation with electronic card keys you know it's just if the guy's not paying attention um and assigns you a room that's where you go you know right Uh, (laughs) anyway i I had no intention of going all on that but seth we're glad you're here one thing we can say about what's the hotel where are you staying where i'm staying the uh fairmont inn in Rehoboth Beach. Okay, so I was about to say the one thing we could say about the Fairmont Inn and Rehoboth Beach is their bandwidth is good, but then you couldn't hear me and you broke up talking back to me. So now there's nothing good we can say about them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you had you, you had the one thing. Um, I mean, the, their front desk people are extremely friendly. The best front desk people I've dealt with in any of the hotels I've stayed at. So it's a shame that they had to work here. Yeah, well, you know, it's compensation, right? You, right? If you can't have a good hotel, at least you can have friendly staff. Right. Uh, and you have something in here, Seth, that says Sully. Yeah, that's the uh, movie with Tom Hanks about the guy who landed oh, on yeah. the Hudson. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, spoiler alert, he landed a plane in the river. I mean, you know, it's based <laughs> on real life events. It was a really good movie. And um, if, you know, my one takeaway from that is if I ever see I'm traveling with Tom Hanks, I'm getting off. So... <laughs> Yeah, Castaway, uh, <laughs> Apollo 13. Yeah, ca- uh, Captain Phillips or whatever yes. that was. Yeah, if, if, I'm, if, I'm any, if I'm on a boat and Tom Hanks gets on the boat, I'm jumping off. If I'm on a plane and he comes in, I'm screaming bomb. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm just, I'm not traveling <laughs> with him. But I mean, no, it was a really good movie, even though you knew how it ended. So, you know, it's not, it's not X-Men versus the Avengers uh, trying to clean up Middle Earth or anything like that. But good, good movie. I really enjoy watching it. You know, man with one red shoe notwithstanding, Tom Hanks doesn't make a bad movie. He just doesn't. Right. Um, and that's the exception that proves the rule. Exactly. So, you know. Um, Who played Sully? Tom Hanks. Oh, he does. Oh, he's Sully. Yeah. Oh, okay. I get it. All right. Yeah. Um, and Sully is, of course, the captain uh, who, you know, at the time was heralded as a hero and then media being what media is, uh, tried to take him apart and you know it's sad really well and you know whether i i don't know you know of course i understand when they're making a movie they're not going to make you a 15-hour documentary so the movie points out that it's like the investigators were the ones trying to uh say he did it wrong you know and of course they want you know they had to pay for the plane and stuff like that. So it, it was the media reporting what the investigators were trying to do. And of course in the movie, um, he's like, now let's do the simulations right. And so anyway, it, it was a good movie. I enjoyed it. All right. Um, and <laughs> I, I just wanted to, to brag just a little bit. Um, uh, as I've mentioned before, uh, I've, I finally, and for the first time in, in, uh, 15, 16 years, I have a space of my own. So uh, when my wife and I were, were first married, young couple, uh, we bought our first house. It was a three-bedroom house. It was going to be the house that we, you know, uh, raised our family in. Uh, and so we had the be- the master bedroom with the, with the bathroom attached. We had a guest bedroom uh, with a bathroom adjacent. And we had an office. Uh, uh, and then it was great. I had my own space there. Uh, so the baby comes along. My wife gets pregnant. 
And so naturally, the logical thing to do is uh, turn the guest bedroom into a nursery because, you know, we don't have guests that, very, that often. Why have a room that's empty 300 days a year? No, no. No, that's what a man thinks. What a woman thinks is, you lose your office, buddy. Um, and so uh, that's it. I lost my office. So then we had a master bedroom, a nursery, and a guest bedroom that went empty 320 days a year. Um, so then we had another kid, and, and it all went uh, downhill from there. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so now in this house, we have a, f- a f- finished basement. And in fact, there's two big rooms in the basement. One room is the girls' room, and one room is the man cave. And so I've been outfitting my man cave, and, and I've mentioned it on the show many times before. I'm a prolific eBayer. I am constantly, uh, if I looked on my, my phone right now, I probably have 15 bids on eBay right now. And I just throw out lowball bids. If something normally uh, retails for $300 and I expect it to go for 175 on eBay, I'll put in a, a $70 bid. Um, and I lose all of them, always, you know, 90 plus percent of the time. But when I win... I win big, and in this case, I won big. I got a, a, a an LCD uh, projector for fifty four dollars, um, including free shipping. Um, now it's an older model; it doesn't have an HDMI port. It's got an old DVI port. It's ten twenty four by seven sixty eight, so it can't fully do seven twenty p. It has to interpolate a little bit. But I have a ninety four inch image down in my man cave today so uh, i just got it set up earlier in the week uh and i took the roku down and 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 hooked it, that all up uh and so i watched the nfl today uh in 94 inches of projected glory Ooh. and uh you know even if it's not the highest quality possible i'm okay with that <laughs> with the giant freaking image it was great <laughs> that sounds awesome yes so uh, the the man cave is coming along. I have a, an old foosball table down there that I picked up on Craigslist for seventy dollars. Um, it needs a little tender loving care. Uh, I've got the parts on order. They are literally on the slow boat from China, in the most literal sense. Um, but when they get here, I'll get that fixed up. I've got an old leather couch that I picked up from a guy on eBay. Uh, I've got you know a couple other things on the way. So it's really turning out good. If you're ever in the Atlanta area, come hang out with me in the man cave. But of course. Being that I have children, um, the man cave became the family room almost immediately. And last night, <laughs> I sat and watched How to Train Your Dragon on the 94-inch screen <laughs> with my kids around me. That's okay. I don't mind so much. As long as they understand that when daddy wants to, to watch football, you don't get to say, no, but. It's no, no. I win. Um, you, you watch what you want when I'm there. So that was that was my experience today, and uh, and I've been talking about uh, in the in the past uh, my cord cutting experience when I moved into this house uh, in at the end of May. Uh, I decided not to bring my satellite dish with me, so we'll talk about that a little late, later on. But first, Miles wants to comment on uh, the iPhone because he's apparently a huge iPhone lover. Yeah. <clears throat> um, no. I'm sorry. No, I shouldn't. I shouldn't be so dismissive of iPhones. Um, yes, you should. Really. <laughs> yes, I should. <laughs> if you want I'm to stay s- on this show, yes, yeah, really. <laughs> I I know how many people out there as a as a percentage of the general population use iPhones, so I got to be careful. I don't want to offend them because actually, there's probably more of them than everybody else in the United States, at least. But what are they thinking with these headphones? Please, Has, you know, you were saying before about traveling. I spent a very large amount of summer escaping Phoenix's heat and actually spent three weeks in Australia and actually three weeks in Europe this summer, which was great. Uh, but, you know, when you're traveling and you 
uh, sitting on planes, particularly for 15 hours long across the Pacific, you need a decent set of headphones to drown out the noise around you because otherwise you just it's hard to bear the trip. And Apple are giving away these little white wireless they're not giving away. They're selling for $160 right. extra. I mean, people, do you realize that means your phone is now $900? And you're not going to buy just one set of these. You're going to lose them two, three, four times. If you have kids, make that six times. This is a money spinner for Apple. And all because they didn't want to put a three and a half mil uh, headphone jack in the in the device. I don't get it. I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, I think you approached it from the wrong end. They didn't want to put a three and a half inch or whatever headphone jack in there, so they could make millions selling you crappy hardware to go with your overpriced phone. <laughs> you know, Apple, mean, know. Uh, Apple has a long history of um, ditching, um, shall we say, aging peripherals. Uh, they were the first to to dump the floppy drive, and, but nobody really cared when they dumped a floppy drive because nobody cared about the floppy drive. <laughs> uh, they were one of the first laptops to come out without uh, an optical drive. Um, and that caused problems. But the, the headphone there's in, in both the case of the floppy and the, uh, um, the CD, th there's engineering reasons that you could do that. You're saving on uh, space. You're, you're making, you're saving on money. Uh, you're making uh, the thing smaller and lighter. You're extending battery life. Uh, these are all good things. By pulling out a uh, 30, uh, 3.5 millimeter headphone jack, you're not saving anything. It doesn't make it any thinner. It doesn't make it any cheaper. What does a headphone audio chip cost these days? In the pennies. I mean, less than a nickel. Uh, at the at probably less than a penny at the at the quantities they do. But I mean, I can buy it on eBay just singular for you know a dollar. You know, and if they're buying. Uh, bulk directly, you know, or manufacturing themselves in China, cost is just a non-issue here. The, the, there is no engineering reason, no technical reason for it. Um, <clears throat> and nor have I at least heard them try to defend that as a technical reason. They've just tried to say, basically, um, times change, get over it. Um, having said all of that, I never, uh, not never, rarely use my headphone jack. The only time I use my headphone jack is when I'm here and I want to play something from my phone into my mixer for podcasting purposes. Uh, all of my um, listening is done via Bluetooth, but as you said, Miles, there's a battery issue there uh, in that I don't know of any head Bluetooth headphones that can both charge and be in use. None of the ones I own can be. Uh, and most of the time I get through a day, but sometimes I have to swap out headphones. I happen to have two, uh, one noise canceling for, uh, for airplane purposes and one regular. Um, but I, I almost never use the headphone jack. So while I would like to whine about it being, you know, a money grab for Apple, I don't think it's going to make a very big impact on most people's lives. Yeah, I, I got across uh, the Pacific. You know, these are 15-hour-long flights. And the way I did it was I've got a, I bought a HTC 10, the, one of the latest um, Android devices. And the reason why I chose that device is because you can put a 256-gigabyte a micro SD card in it. And I literally just loaded it up with YouTube videos and TV and stuff that I wanted to watch. And I plug in the headset and I check out and for 15 hours I can get through that flight. But I can't see any way that I could do that with a wireless headset. I mean, there's no way it will actually stop ambient noise. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they've come up with some 
crazy invention that uh, stops ambient noise with those little things. But man, if you're if you're parked over the plane wing or near an engine, and you're not on a modern day plane like an A380 or a triple seven or you know a Dreamliner or something like that, it's noisy. And if it's noisy, this is why people spend three hundred and something dollars to buy those big Bose headsets you see on planes that block out the noise. If you have no jack to plug that in, well, that was a great investment down the down the drain. So I don't know they 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 use the term was it courage was that their whole <laughs> thing at the? I'm not sure if that's the right term. I mean, maybe I'm just a uh, maybe I need to get over this thing and move forward, but it doesn't feel like it's moving forward at all. I think what happened is just they forgot to put it in, and then somebody <laughs> looked at it. The last guy said, "Where's the where's the headphone jack?" And the engineer went, oh, crap, that's what we forgot. And the marketing guy said, y'all, we're Apple. We can get away with anything. Watch this spin. I think that's what's happening here. So, And, of course, if you're a third-party uh, dongle maker, uh, this is your dream come true. Now every iPhone owner needs something that you sell. Um, yeah, and, you know, it's just Apple wanting to um, get – metrics and lock more third-party unlicensed stuff out because otherwise you know they made it to where they're just god i hate apple almost as much <laughs> as i hate this hotel so uh, but no it's just i i have my earphones and i use them quite often when i'm running you know i, I put my podcast on when i'm jogging and then i have my cord that runs down to my phone slash podcast player and that's what i use I mean, you know, I'm too cheap to go out and buy wireless stuff that then I've got to have two devices using electricity. So it's more electricity and ends up costing me more money because those devices are more expensive and it costs me more money because it's another thing using electricity. And then it's more money to use the electricity on my phone because it has to produce a wireless signal. And anyway, it's just, it's just a way for people to spend more money. And, you know, since you're spending money anyway, Apple would like to have their fair share and other people's fair share as well. You know, I didn't think about that. You're right. Imagine if you're jogging and you're, you're, you know, like you do, Seth, and you're out in the middle of, I don't know, trail running or something like that. How are those things going to stay in your ears? They're just going to fall out. And they're, oh, there we go. That was a $160 jog. And you're going to be doing it all the time? I mean, what, somebody's going to invent some strap or some sort of thing to put over your head so they don't fall on? I, sorry, guys, that's called a headphone. All you've got to do is just buy some headphones, job done. Well, I personally use the Jaybird Freedom uh, Bluebird, uh, excuse me, Bluetooth headsets. They have a little ear, because I, I have I have non-earbud ears. Uh, no, no earbuds stick into my ears, but the... Uh, and there are other people that make them, but the one that I use personally is uh, uh, made by a company called Jaybird, uh, and they have a a little plastic curved piece that that wedges in between the the curved piece of cartilage, uh, and and makes makes the headphones fit very comfortably. Um, they also last about ten to twelve hours of constant play. But I paid almost two hundred dollars for them, so this is this is a premium product. Uh, and Miles, like you said, I have the big uh, noise canceling ones as well. I got those um, at a discount in exchange for a review, but uh, ordinarily that would run another $200. So if you're willing to spend $400 worth of headphones, you can get across that transatlantic flight. Or, uh, But otherwise, <laughs> sorry, you're just out of luck. It. But people who buy iPhones 
right, are there's there's two classes. There's the people who get the iPhone because that's what the AT&T store gives them. Uh, or there's the people who buy the iPhones outright because they don't care about how much things cost. In this case, neither of these people are really going to be, be affected because the first thing that, that Verizon and AT&T are going to do is start running um, uh, promotions where if we lock you into a three-year contract, you get uh, a, a pair of headphones uh, with a lightning adapter for your thing. And so it, I think they're going to skate through this as a company completely unscathed because the two both ends of the market, the people who don't know how much a phone costs uh, won't notice, and the people who don't care how much a phone costs won't notice. Only those of us in the middle who actually pay for their phones are going to care. So I think this is going to be a non-issue for everybody except us geeks who like to complain. <laughs> you know, we should really come up with some way to move material over a flat surface. We we really need to spend a lot of time in R and D to figure out how to do that because nobody's ever done that before. I don't know. It's just absurd the fact that they don't that they're there's no reason to change it. I mean, we're talking in circles now, but yeah. yeah. And of course, they're they're going to uh, they're going to encourage if if only by way of of advertisement people to go about buy and purchase the the new Beats headphones that they also own. So. You know, that's just going to be a thing. Uh, anyway, uh, it's interesting that we have this much vehemence uh, toward it, but I think the world at large, I think only tech geeks care. The world at large wants, okay, I don't care. Um, yeah, yeah, I have to spend more money now. That's But I think people, most people won't. Most people are going to, to, to buy, uh, to use the cheap earbuds that come with it, or they're going to use the Bluetooth adapter in their car, and it's just not going to be a thing. But again... You think the phone, they, it does cost more money, but because it's built into the base price that people are paying, it doesn't appear to cost more money. And the more money it costs for electricity to charge the two devices and the power output to send the wireless signal, those cost more money. But nobody cares because they don't see the money coming out of their pockets for that. They just notice, you know, why is my electric bill a couple of bucks more expensive this month? No. You know, oh, why is my phone contract gone up by a dollar or whatever it's a couple of bucks a year not a couple of bucks a month i mean you're you're way overestimating how much it costs to charge that tiny little battery in a head, headphone yeah but yeah okay i mean and most golly. of us charge our phones off the electricity at work anyway yeah <laughs> that's well, true. i'll tell you what i'll make a prediction i i believe the iphone 7 will be the windows 8 of fel- of phones <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's it's been a long time since Apple had any kind of market failure, um, and they're due, really. I don't know that this is it, but they're due for a significant market failure, uh, and we'll just see what happens. Uh, it'll be, it, you know, of course, everything will be blamed on the fact that Steve Jobs is gone, um, whether that has anything to do with it or not. Right. Okay, moving right along. Did we cover everything? Yeah, I think we did. All right. Uh, Let me read. uh, That was our first rant of the night. Let me read a rant from Tim, uh, who says he enjoys a bit of alchemy. Hey, guys, I was just writing to say that I got a real laugh while playing the little alchemy site that Seth recommended. Try combining rain and sun, then combine that product with itself. I got a real kick of it. As always, thanks for the great show. I must admit, I was a little disappointed that you didn't go with my suggested show title, Extemporaneous Discussion Lab, but after listening to an hour-long Dungeons & Dragons dissertation, which can only be described as the geekiest in all of geekdom, I concede that Geek Rant is by far the more suitable title. Sorry to see Chris go and hope to hear him back from time to time. 
I also hope to see some more appearances from Miles, the master of the coin, Wakeham, in the future. Keep up the great work, guys. Tim. <laughs> wow. That, that man has a, a, a way of using words that are beautiful. <laughs> I love that sentence. <laughs> I did get a, 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 a Google Plus uh, share, mention, mention, I think is what they call it on Google Plus, from a guy who says, I officially hate Mark and Seth. Because now well, me, my wife, and my child are all addicted to Little Alchemy. And, and I replied with, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> oh, yes. So uh, speaking of Master of the Coin, the Bitcoin, uh, it's up like 12% right now. And I'm sure there's a reason for it, but I can't figure out what it is. Miles, any idea? What? I mean, yeah, um, there was something that made a thing, but I can't see why it's a thing. Well, there's two things this week which are big in the Bitcoin news. One is that the uh, the Russian Federation did a 180-degree turn on we're going to jail you if you use Bitcoin to maybe it's not such a bad thing after all. Um, so we've got that look at that's turned a lot of things around. But the one that I don't know if it got a great deal of press, but I was reading about this earlier today, and I'm going to probably mispronounce this bank's name because it, it's simple to read and more difficult to pronounce, but Santander, I think, is the name, the way you pronounce it. The Santander. That, yeah. I, well, I've always thought of it that way, and then somebody, it's on the back of all the Ferrari Formula One cars that I watch. Well, so. the people I know who work there call it Santander. Oh, okay. We'll <laughs> go with that. That'll work. Um, well, apparently, they have published a, uh, a document or a paper that basically says, Bitcoin yeah, we're going to deal with it. We're going to learn to live with it. We're going to embrace it. We're not going to try to kill it off. And this is a massive bank. I mean, massive. Um, they were really focused around that in Brazil. But when Brazil's the seventh largest country in the world, it's uh, it, it has some legs. Um, but there was always this thing going on in the Bitcoin community where they uh, equated Bitcoin and banking to the was it the five stages of grief or something where you, <laughs> you and this is we're getting towards the end of acceptance now and now we're not we're seeing banks that have been trying to do their own blockchains and they kind of see that it works fine for you know interbank stuff but for the average Joe it's not relevant um, and now all of a sudden this is the first time I've heard a bank actually come forward and go you know what we we need to we need to learn to live with Bitcoin so. I don't know. This is all props for Bitcoin, and maybe this is the the push that pushes us into the low six hundreds. Meanwhile, I have still bought Ethereum at market high and have lost money on it. And uh, I'm not going to say I've given up hope, but I'm I'm not super hopeful that it's going to go anywhere. I give it time. I mean, the problem with Ethereum right now is it's got two competing flavors. You've got a, a Ethereum Classic right. and the the new Ether, you know, standard. And the Ethereum community, after they went through all of the recent ruckus of uh, of being hacked and, and the whole DAO thing, um, I don't think that they've really come to grips yet with moving forward with a new protocol. There's still the diehard old uh, old standard Ethereum protocol, and then there's the new people. And it just just like it is in any of these sort of open source worlds, you get these split fiefdoms and everyone's got to come together eventually and and move forward and that hasn't happened so until that happens ethereum will sit static and then all of a sudden it will shoot through the roof one will hope i i think there needs to be in in just arbitrarily in my uh, feeble mind i think that three digital bitcoin uh, digital currencies is about right three global strong digital currencies if there's just one 
then that leads to instability. If there's two, then that could be gamed. Um, but with with three that are solid and standard across the world, I think I think that would be the thing that introduces Bitcoin as a real currency. What do you think? Yeah, about that? I, I, well, I agree. I, I think Bitcoin is, for me, the way I look at it, is Bitcoin is for money, it's transfer of value, and I see Ethereum as transfer of of stated fact or contract. So you would use something like Ethereum as a perfect protocol for things like a marriage license or a title on a motor vehicle or escrow on a house or something like that. Um, it worked really, really well for that sort of, uh, you know, proof of, uh, what is it, proof of state, I think that's what they call it. Um, but in, in Bitcoin's world, it's all about value transfer. And if we can just keep those two in their own little corners and th they will work together very happily. Uh, it's just when one tries to be the other, I think we run into some trouble. We'll see what happens. It's it's uh, in this world of newness, you know, we live in a time where there are new things happening all the time, but most of the new things are iterative. Um, digital coinage is the first brand new thing that never existed that I can think of in the last decade. Um, you know, it's not an advancement. It's not we figured out how to do some slow thing fast. Uh, you know, like we mapped the human genome. Well, we knew how to do that. But some guy figured out how to make it fast, you know. Uh, you know, hard uh, hard drives and and RAM. We knew how to do that all the way back in the fifties. We just figured out how to make it smaller and faster. But digital currency, the Satoshi Nakamura, invented a thing that was never a thing, and that's exciting to me. But and you know, here's the thing: it's been around for seven years now before it's a thing. So right. you know, it, it's the maybe, ten year overnight success, right? But most overnight successes take about a decade. This is true. Uh, okay, and, and w one thing, you know, uh, I, people have been asking me just left and right, uh, just nonstop about uh, my new cord cutting experience um, and how things are going there. And uh, so I, I just thought I'd give you a little update on that. Um, so as, I, as I've told you before, uh, in June, when, when, I, when I moved into this house, uh, end of May, early June, somewhere around that time, I decided not to bring my dish network that I'd had for 15 years with me. And I wanted to see if I could do it, um, you know, uh, get spousal approval and kid approval and not miss anything. Um, and I have, I have achieved that, that mark. Um, now I'm not a big heavy, uh, um, television watcher. So if you're into live television or, or broadcast television, it may not work for you, but for me, it, it's, it's working just fine. So, uh, I have found, that the magic device, um, that, you know, it's the 80, 20 device, 80, per, uh, 80% of the time it does 80% of what I needed to do. Um, and that's the Roku. Um, and so I use the, uh, PlayStation view service. I, I had originally started with sling TV and sling TV has, has issues, not just technical, but, uh, licensing issues. Um, uh, for example, uh, sling TV doesn't, didn't at the time, I don't know if it does now, have Discovery Channel uh, and Discovery Networks, not just specifically Discovery Channel, but th that's Discovery, that's History, that's Learning Channel. Um, and that's that's like 70% of what I watch, personally. Uh, I'm, I'm into that sort of thing. Uh, History Channel and Discovery Channel are, are my thing. So that was kind of a deal breaker. Um, they did have Disney and Nickelodeon and, and the, the kids stuff, so that was great. But uh, that was on the one stream at a time plan. They have a three stream at a time plan, but Disney is conspicuously absent from that plan. Um, PlayStation View, on the other hand, 
which got its start on the PlayStation, hence the name PlayStation View, but now is available on Android uh, and Xbox and Roku. That was the big thing for me. They don't have a web component yet. I'm hoping they'll get one. Um, that was the uh, the the deal breaker, deal maker for me. Five streams at a time, so we can have something going in the living room, something going in in the upstairs bedroom, something going in the man cave, and something going on two ca- kids' tablets at the same time, um, which is you know way overkill. We rarely, if ever, do that, but we have that option. Um, whereas Sling TV, particularly Disney. That wasn't going to happen. It's a it's a DVR, which is kind of cool. You tag a show as you say, "This is my show," and it'll record uh, four episodes of that show, four weeks, uh, I should say. Uh, so if there's more than uh, one episode a week, it'll record all of them. But it'll give you 28 days of shows, and then it seamlessly goes to the video and demand show. So say Food Network, right? Um, it'll record something on Food Network. Um, uh, Chopped. It's one of the shows I like to watch. It'll record four episodes of Chopped, but also show me. All the episodes of Chopped that Food Network hosts on their servers. So I'm browsing through there, and I can see 15 or 20 different episodes to choose from. Um, Sling didn't offer that in the same way. Um, now, the, so it's it was for me the thing, and I'm on the bottom tier plan, which is $29 a month, $29.99, $30 a month, um, which is, you know, uh, it's a little pricey compared to, say, Hulu or Netflix, but it has everything I need, and it was not the $116 I was paying every month to Dish Network. And we haven't missed anything. Not one thing have we missed. Um, now, the DVR is a little wonky, particularly on Disney shows. Disney, I think, intentionally breaks their DVR service. Uh, Disney will run, will list shows at, say, starting at 9 and ending it at 10, but will actually show it at, at uh, starting from 9.15 and running to 10.15. And so you lose the end of your show. Um, uh, Chag in the chat room is asking about ads. Uh, when you're watching um, PlayStation View, uh, it's all the regular TV ads. Uh, but if it's a recorded, if it's not something live, if it's recorded, you can skip over those ads. On the Roku, that's a little dinky, and I, I think that's a Roku problem. Uh, their hardware just doesn't allow for live scrubbing. On the phone, it's a much better experience. Um, you can skip forward 30 seconds. You can live scrub. You can do that sort of thing. On the Roku, it's a little dinky. But I've learned that uh, you get a 10-second skip. Most ads uh, run between two and a half to three minutes. So I, I click the 10-second button about 28 times. And sometimes I watch part of one commercial. Uh, but that's that's a little annoying. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, I, I lost my train of thought before I read that about the ads. But anyway, it's a... Uh, uh, oh, yeah, Disney intentionally breaks things. So, like, Girl Meets World is a Disney show that my family has to watch, my girls in particular. So I had to go to to um, um, Google Play and buy that season, or volume, they call it, of Girl Meets World because we were missing the end every time, consistently. Um, so that cost me an extra $20 over the course of probably four months. Uh, I'm okay with that. That doesn't break my heart at all. And again, Google Play is right there on the Roku, so the Roku has become the the center of it. Now, for uh, just recently in the Atlanta market, they've added the Fox Atlanta. So today, when I was watching football, I was watching that on the Fox show, uh, Fox Network, the local uh, My Fox Five Atlanta show, right there on PlayStation View on the Roku. It was great. But for other things, if I want to watch uh, NBC or PBS or whatever, I stuck an antenna up in the attic and and bought a TiVo Romeo. OTA. So what what the Romeo does, it's the uh, it's TiVo, which we all know is one of the best uh, 
DVRs out there. It's got four tuners in it. It's got a uh, half a terabyte, 500 gigabyte uh, hard drive in it. And uh, it'll just record stuff. You can do uh, one of the neat features I like. It's called a one pass. So let's say you like uh, one of the shows I like is American Ninja Warrior. I set a one pass for American Ninja Warrior. And it shows me everywhere American Ninja Warrior is available. It records it every time it's on, but it also will show me the Amazon Prime options. It'll show me the Netflix options all right there because it's got a Prime app and it's got a Netflix app and it's got a Hulu app all built right in. So right there from that one interface, I can watch every episode and don't have to care where it is. Um, and that was a pricey piece of equipment, but I bought uh, uh, TiVo like makes you buy a license. You pay like, I think $30 a month for a license or you can buy a lifetime license. So, the hardware plus the lifetime license plus a second piece of equipment called the TiVo Stream that, that takes what's on my TiVo and streams it out over the internet so that we can watch it um, anywhere else, including other rooms or on tablets or whatever else. All of that together cost me about $600. So that was an expensive uh, outlay up front, but when you consider that I'm no longer paying Dish Network $120 every month, then you know on the sixth month I start recouping my loss. Uh, so that that is working for me. So downstairs, for example, in the man cave... Uh, when I want to watch something that is uh, local television, I can't do it on the Roku because there's not a TiVo app on the Roku, but I've got an old laptop down there that I plug into my projector and I pull up the online.tivo.com and I because I bought the $100 TV, uh, TiVo stream device, I can pull anything out of the air and watch it over uh, on a laptop or on my phone. I can Chromecast it. Uh, actually, that only works off of an iPad. Um, it doesn't work on Android. So all of these things together, I'm not missing anything. I'm not paying a lot less because I had to bump up my um, uh, internet to pay for all that. Now everything's coming over the internet. So I had to bump up my speed there. Uh, so I'm not really saving money. But what I'm getting, I'm not paying for uh, a bunch of stuff I don't want. And I'm getting to watch whatever I want pretty much wherever I want it. And that's what I was going for. So there's my update. Now, uh my experience with Android TV has not been super positive, but maybe that's the device I've been using. I've got a cheap $30 Amlogic um, S809 uh, device, um, and Android TV is you know, not awesome on it. But, Miles, you have the best Android TV box you can buy. So what's your experience been with the NVIDIA Shield? Um, I've had the NVIDIA Shield. It'll be four weeks on Friday. And uh, I went through the same process I'm sure that everyone goes through with this cord cutting thing. We have DirecTV, uh, was paying over $100 a month for this. And I've, I also have, separate to that, I've got a, a set-top uh, device that plays uh, recorded media. It's called a Popcorn Hour. Yep. Um, so I would watch that a lot, most of the time. And what was happening was my wife was watching... Uh, the uh, direct tv box more and more and then eventually she discovered netflix and now she binge watches all these shows that she likes and the the direct tv doesn't even get any any love anymore we watch it for i think she watches a couple of regular network shows and i get some motorsports on it and that's about it so to spend a hundred dollars a month for that is ridiculous so i thought okay well it's time to start getting serious about getting off uh, cable or, or satellite in this case. So um, I looked at every show we watched and I realized that, you know, there's about 30 free-to-air channels I can get here in Phoenix. Maybe of that, 10 of them are English channels, but it's enough to be able to get the shows that my wife watches. 
Uh, I can get my motorsport feeds from various places around the place, some dubious, some not so. So uh, I can, you know, I'm fine there. But at the end of the day, I, I like, like you, Mark, I had a little inexpensive um, Android TV box and uh, I plugged into the TV and the quality of the picture was subpar. It certainly wasn't really good for 1080 and it really didn't have the resolution and the, the gamma controls and the bright and dark variants that you would you would want to be able to take advantage of what we've been used to. And I knew that if we were to cut over to something like that, my wife would, I'd never hear the end of it. It wasn't going to be anywhere near as good as a satellite. So I went on the internet and studied and found out that everyone's raving about this NVIDIA Shield uh, device. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll punt. So I bought one. And because it's NVIDIA, I'm thinking, well, you know, they're a graphics company, right? So they're going to have a really nice quality graphics display and it's 4K ready. So I get a little bit of uh, future proofing with it and uh, plugged into the TV. And man, it's beautiful. The, 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 the picture quality is fantastic. Um, but what was really, really nice about this was that the way they've implemented Android TV on this particular vi- device, it feels like NVIDIA were able to tell Google how to write Android TV correctly and with the remote, and it, it's just perfect. I can't say I'm wanting for anything on this device. Um, all of the Android TV apps that you get that would have been subpar on the old Android TV device, are. It's, it feels like they were made for the NVIDIA Shield. The YouTube app is fantastic. I watch Bloomberg News. It's it's one of the best apps I've ever seen. Um, you know, you've got all of the regular Fox, NBC, HGTV, um, uh, all of the various different apps that are specific to that all work great. And then I installed Kodi on it. And of course, with Kodi, I can get, I can replace the need for having the popcorn hour because it will go straight to my NAS so I can watch on my recorded shows. And then you can start installing all these add-ons to Kodi and grab content from all over the place. And I'm literally down to the point where the only thing I cannot get is IndyCar races. And if I and it happens to be the last race of the season next week, so I literally have about seven or eight months to go and solve that problem. Um, I really can't justify spending another dollar with uh, DirecTV. And then uh, one of the shows that I like to listen to, uh, uh, the Cord Killers show with uh, two guys whose names just left out of my head, um, Brian Brushwood and uh, worked with Leo for a while, then got fired. Um, anyway, Brian, uh, no, uh, wow, this is scintillating uh, podcast listening, listening to me trying to come up with a name. But it's bothering me. I'm stuck. I can't get around it. Patrick um, Norton? No. That's no. not it. The people are yelling at their podcast players right now. Uh, some are saying, move on, it doesn't matter. And others are shouting the name at me. Tom Merritt. <laughs> there it is. I heard you. Tom Merritt. Anyway, they do a show and they do. They propose what they call the chicken challenge. Call up your provider and say, I'm quitting unless you cut my bill by 50%. And see what happens. Of course, you got to be willing to quit uh, when you do that. But... Uh, often people will find that they'll get that. Like uh, uh, Comcast is famous for saying, if you don't leave our TV service, we'll cut your internet service by $50 a month. Uh, so essentially the TV becomes a free add-on. You're, you're paying the same amount as you used to pay for TV and uh, cable just for cable or something like that. Uh, so try that. Uh, I tried it with Dish and they said, sorry for your luck, bye. 
<laughs> it didn't, <laughs> didn't work with them, but that's okay. I was willing to go. Uh, so that might be something you want to try, Miles. But frankly, I just didn't want to... Uh, one of the things that I what I discovered, my first HD experience was Dish Network. I've had Dish Network uh, for since two thousand, uh, no, since nineteen ninety eight. That's that's how long I had had Dish Network. Um, when I first took up Dish Network, it was to a twenty one inch tube style TV. Um, so I got a, a flat screen TV and HD uh, all through Dish Network. What I didn't know was I have never seen HD. Um, coming over a satellite, it's so compressed and so artifact riddled, uh, that it's, it doesn't really even deserve to be called HD. I just didn't know that. I stuck a $50 flat, uh, piece of plastic up in my attic and plugged it into the TiVo and oh my gosh, it is so much higher quality than anything I'd ever looked at before. I just didn't know. Uh, I was, it was like a, a blind man who was suddenly seeing this is what, HD TV is supposed to look like. I didn't know. So if you're and probably with digital cable, it's the same. I suspect digital cable is compressing things like crazy. Again, I don't have any experience with it, but until you see the full uncompressed over the air digital signal, I don't think you've really seen what, what HD TV can be. Seth, what do you, what have you got while you're traveling? What are you, what are you doing with hotels and so on? Well, I'm watching the uh, pirated cable off of the, uh, <laughs> Uh, t- the crappy TV in the room, but no, I am actually I'm rereading my Honor Harrington books, so I'm up to like book. I think this is book eight now, because you know this is my third week here. So I d- I get a lot of reading done, and then I do some YouTubing, and then you know just I call it internet archaeology. I'm one of the I think I'm one of the last web surfers where I just go from site to site where they where they wherever it takes me. Well, let me give you a. Uh um, a tip about traveling with a Roku. And I've mentioned it before, but I'll do it again. If you've got a rooted phone or a, a Linux laptop, when, when you go to hook up your Roku to a hotel Wi-Fi, uh, you have to do the, the sign in, the yes, I agree thing. And Roku doesn't have any way to do that. So what you do is you change the Mac address of your rooted Android phone or your Linux laptop to the Mac address of the Roku sign in, do the yes, I agree thing, then change your MAC address back, plug the Roku in, and it thinks you've already authenticated. You have to do that once a day, every 24 hours, but that works. Because otherwise, most hotels won't let you hook up your Roku to their uh, Wi-Fi service. So just a little life hack for you there. Yeah, no, I mean, I have um, Amazon Prime and Netflix if I wanted to watch them on either my laptop or my tablet. I just like... Honestly, it just I just don't care, and so consequently, when I'm at home, I don't spend as much time on the TV because I, it's just like I don't care. I'll just I'll read a book because that's more exciting for me than watching most of the garbage on TV. Rick in the chat room says you could also bring a small travel router, hook it up to, up to your TV, and make your own wireless. Uh, that works too. Yeah, that's yeah, a good idea. That. And of course, Chag, being a true geek, says you could write a cron job that rewrites the MAC address daily so that you don't have to authenticate every day. So is that a, is that a GUI app there, Chad? I, <laughs> I don't understand what you're talking about. The GUI Maybe kid Chris. didn't understand that. Yeah. Chris might could have wrote a cron job. Me. I mean, if, if I had to, I could, I could bust out the coding and figure it out. But yeah, I, my problem is I just don't care that much. Yeah. Now, uh, Miles, you have the current NVIDIA Shield, which is yep. now 
extinct. They are no longer selling it. Uh, presumably, there's an NVIDIA Shield 2 on the market. Uh, there have been some FCC filings, but nobody's actually, uh, they haven't announced it yet, but they have announced that they're no longer selling the original NVIDIA Shield. Now, oh, that, that answers a question. My, my daughter just moved into a college apartment with, you know, there's four, four residents in the one apartment. She went back to college uh, this year. And on in her room, there's a cable connection, which I put a TV on. And one day it was working. The next day we get this message showing that the Cox, the cable company, are no longer providing digital TV to her room. So I thought, oh, well, maybe I'll just get a, one of these NVIDIA Shields. They work great for me. I went to buy one the other day. Yeah, not not selling them out of stock. So that's what's going on, is it? Yeah, that's that's the the scuttlebutt is that they're getting ready to in, uh, introduce the uh, the version two, but all that we officially know is that you can no longer buy the version one. Uh, but the, the the first version has I'm, I'm trying to look it up on the the site because I want to get it exactly right, but I believe it's 256 video GPU cores. That's why it's so good. It oh. has you know a number. I don't I don't know how many. Um, uh, oh, you can get the Shield Pro with the 500 gig hard drive. That one's still mm-hmm. in stock. Uh, I'm yeah. looking at that now, but no, nobody really wants that. Uh, but 256 cores. Now, if they're going to do the new version, right, what is that going to be? Probably 500 cores? I mean, that's a reasonable uh, expectation for things to double uh, as they go go on. Um, Dang, that'll be my Ethereum mining rig. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of the things I wonder about is, is this just, you know, number adding? Um, because how much better could it be? I mean, uh, Miles, you, you said this is what it should look like. I mean, could you could you make it better can, can, from your experience? Uh, not on my current TV, but if I had 4K. Yeah, maybe. there you go, 4K. Yeah. Um, but, th- but mine is apparently 4K compatible. Maybe when they're pushing it on Ultra HD and 4K and all that stuff that they see an opportunity to raise the, the limit or something. Well, this says I mean, it, that, it, uh, that the, 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 I'm looking on, I'm on shield.nvidia.com, and it says that it can do 4K playback at 56 frames per second right now. Yeah, that, that's right. I, I bought it as a bit of a future-proofing thing in case I decide to upgrade the TV. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. I went into a Walmart recently, and they've got 4K 65-inch flat-screen TVs for under $1,000. I, I've, ne- I've never heard of anything like this. Not only that, but they're not even locked up. You can just go grab one by the little plastic handle and walk away with it. <laughs> um, when I first bought my uh, first flat screen TV, uh, I bought it at Circuit City. Anybody remember those? Um, mm-hmm. I think I paid two grand for it. It was a 32 inch um, and it was locked up in a cage and I had to literally have an armed escort take me out to the car. One of their security guards carried me up, uh, uh, walked with the, they didn't let me have it. Like, so the employee got it out of the cage. The employee carried it up to the cash register. I paid for it. Then the employee and the security guard carried it out to my car. Now, uh, oh, you want a 85 inch 4k? Yeah. They're over there in the corner. Help yourself. How things have changed. Yeah, we leave those outside. Just pick one up. And <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, so they're next to the, to the ice and the, uh, the blue rhino, uh, uh, propane. It's uh, ridiculous. The, and and I, as, as I recall, I bought the uh, the replacement warranty. I had young kids. This was an expensive device, and I think I paid like seven fifty 
for the warranty. So you add all that together, it was nearly three thousand dollars for this Polaroid. Who even knew they makes them make them now? Uh, but it's still sitting fifteen years later up in in my just right here, a few feet away from me in the bedroom, and it still works as well as it ever did. Uh, I don't understand people. I'm not one of those guys who has to buy new every every time. Like I just said, this projector I bought. Uh, I think they stopped manufacturing it in 2013. So it's minimum three years old, probably more like five or six. That's fine with me. Um, you know, The TV in the bedroom, like I said, is 15 years old. I'm not one of those guys who runs out and buys a new thing every time. Um, and maybe, maybe I'm what's wrong with the world, but it seems like people do that, that people have just a stack of old TVs. Uh, I'm, I'm interested, uh, you know, uh, listening audience, do you replace your TVs every couple of years? Miles, what about you? No, I my TV I had before the one that I bought recently lasted me 12 years and then died. So I had no choice. And then I bought a Samsung Smart TV two or three, four years ago, something like that. And I'm happy with it. It's fine. It does its job and I don't intend on replacing it. I mean, I see the new devices. I go to CES every year. I see all the new devices that they're they're pushing and there's a lot of you know, I mean, you go into those showroomy environments and there's all this wow stuff they put on the screen. But look, at the end of the day, if I'm going to get content that comes over some sort of internet pipe and they drop the resolution down or they, you know, compress it or whatever, I'm probably never going to see the advantage of that new TV. So I'm going to just let it seed for a while and let the technology catch up a bit. Yeah. And Seth, I know the answer, but I'll ask it anyway. Do you replace your electronics frequently? No. But consequently, even though I'm a cheap person, when I go to replace them, I don't go for the cheap model because I've skipped so many. I like throw them a bone and buy, you know, mid or better range stuff. But no, I have like a, it's either a 19 or a 21 inch LCD that I honestly, I don't know what to do. I tried to give it away to some friends and whenever they found out how big it was, they're like, no, I don't want that. (laughs) I I am right now doing this show on two 24 inch LCDs. Uh, and you're you're trying to get rid of a 19. Yeah, there's homeless guys would spit in your face if you tried to give them that. <laughs> I know that isn't that so stupid. I just when I was a kid, my parents had in the front room a 13 inch black and white TV. That was the that was the one TV in the house when I was a kid. Right. And you know I've talked before about having to climb the ladder to turn the antenna so we could see the different channels, but. I mean, and now, you know, I have a 40-inch TV in my room. It just, I would, what would I need something like that for? I don't need it. That's the point. But I, I have it. I didn't have color television until I moved to college and my roommate had one. So I'm, I'm far from an early adapter in that world, uh, but I'm trying to make up for it. Chag in the <laughs> chat room says that he uh, replaces his computer monitors, but not his TVs uh, regular regularly. But I, I don't... I don't even do that. I mean, I bought this because I needed a new rig, but prior to that, it was a 17-inch 4x3 monitor. And Well, you know. Seth, to, to talk to your um, frugality on videos, uh, i got to tell you a, a bit of a win this week. I had to go and get a 17-inch uh, monitor just for a dedicated application on a little computer. So I decided I was going to go to a store over here. They have called, I'm not sure if they've got them in your area, but they're called Savers. They're basically like a Goodwill, but a kind of a little upmarket from that. Okay, here's the total price I paid for this 17-inch Dell perfectly working screen. (laughs) (laughs) $3.71. Wow. 
Is that including tax? That was including yeah. tax out the door, three dollars and seventy-one cents. Wow, that's, that's awesome. Uh, you know, uh, obsolescence is is a, a a phrase that I don't I don't accept. You know, and, and that that old like the the TV, the the family computer downstairs originally came with Windows Vista on it. If that tells you anything, um, and it's it's connected to a monitor that I had from the computer before it. Um, it's not a tube. It is a flat screen. Uh, but you know, it's, it still computes. It's still fine. It's basically a giant Chromebook. Essentially. It's the same basic specs as a Chromebook, but it burns uh, 250 Watts while it's running <laughs> and, and regularly overheats. I, I and I, I can't bring myself to go buy another one for something that is so used so rarely. Cause we have other laptops in the house and, right. and everybody has a tablet, but literally three times a week it's it's the one where the printer's connected and if we can't it's a wi-fi printer but sometimes you need to print through it through the computer too uh like through the the tablets for example and so like three two or three times a week i've got to go reboot the thing because it's just locked up and nobody noticed until they needed to print something um it's, it's sad really it's like the cobbler has the kids has no shoes you know i'm i'm a tech guy this is what i do for a living and all the tech in my house is reused crap Anyway, yep. so uh, let's do uh, a little bit of news. And the first thing that Seth has in the news article is that FCC is sort of uh, doing a backtrack on the whole cable card thing and instead saying you we, we're going to make you do apps for stuff. Yeah, you know, because the, um, the cable companies were griping and complaining about this, and so the FCC said, fine, we'll make you do apps, and then the cable companies griped and complained about that. Basically, <laughs> they just don't want anybody telling them what to do, and they don't want anybody busting up their monopolies. But their plan is that to make the uh, cable companies provide apps and to make their content searchable by third parties and that um, it has to work on any device once there was 5 million of them shipped in the previous year. So, um, you know, it's one of those things. I I think it's a halfway step, but I think this is a good halfway step because since the government created the problem of cable monopolies, cable companies are a government-created monopoly, they need to do something to check their power. And this is maybe the minimum or halfway to the minimum amount they should do. So. And so what the, basically what this says is if you are a Comcast subscriber, if you pay Comcast money, you should have the right to download a Comcast app on, on anything you choose um, and you not have to have the Comcast hardware. That's, what, that's all this says. And, it, and actually the, the filing says it's okay if you charge people per app as they do now. You might pay $5 for the extra cable box up in the room. They're okay with that. Um, although that $5 is a cable box rental. Uh, so I'm not sure actually how that works, but, um, the, the point is the FCC is just trying to level the playing field and say that you don't get to own the content and the delivery network and the hardware. Um, you've got to, you got to meet us in the middle somewhere. And of course, cable companies whine every time something comes up and say, no, this is, this is killing our business. Well, that's kind of the point cable companies. Your business is that you own the content, you own the delivery mechanism, you own the hardware, you own the rights, you own the actors' contracts, and you own the studios. Yeah, we kind of want to break into your business. That's the whole point here. 
Um, but you know, I don't. I frankly, I don't think any of this is going to happen. The FCC uh, doesn't really have the power to to do what they're trying to do. They can only make recommendations and hope people follow them, but they don't have any enforcing teeth to it. So I really think this is going to be kerfuffle and argument, and then uh, Comcast and and the the others like them are going to say, well, we don't have to do what the FCC says in this case. Um, I don't disagree with you, but you know, like I say, to me, this is a good first step. So if you'll remember this time, I think last year, maybe two years ago, the Supreme Court shot down uh, something and went to the FCC and said, um, you don't have the ability to do this, but you do have the ability to reclassify uh, ca- uh, cable companies as common carriers. Once you reclassify them, then you have some teeth. So that was a big thing, and it didn't happen. Uh, palms were greased, money was given, and uh, com- uh, cable companies were not classified as common carriers. So the FCC essentially has no authority over them. Uh, they have authority over um, things that are broadcast over the air, but not things that are completely sealed. That's why, you know, you can see boobs on HBO and nobody cares because HBO at no point goes over the air. But if you're NBC and you broadcast over the air and most cable stuff, if you have cable um, in your home, the odds are you're looking at an antenna. It's a big antenna somewhere in a metro area that is then connected to a cable and running to your house. But you're still watching over-the-air television. Uh, Most people don't realize that. But you're still watching over-the-air television, and that's why the FCC has any teeth in this at all. But if you then take the app thing, that kind of even uh, uh, takes the teeth, what what little bit of teeth the FCC does have, takes it away if it's completely over the Internet. So I'm I'm not a big government interventionalist here, and I'm not sure that this is a good idea any way around. I think we're already seeing the market winning in that things like uh, Sling TV and PlayStation View exist. And the, and the fact that the Food Network has an app and that Discovery has an app and that Bloomberg Television has an app. I think the market is already winning and government could, the best they could do is mess things up. Miles, what do you think about that? Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. The, th- the thing is that they're, they're th- treating broadcast media based on the technology of low range rf and or cable and it was a big stretch for them to even think in terms of satellite but the fcc as a communication commission its domain is continental united states the fact now is that if you look in terms of a cord cutters experience we're watching apps from uh, Sky News in the UK or RT or Al Jazeera or all these other international providers who don't fall under the same uh, control that the FCC has and yet their apps will sit alongside NBCs and Fox and everybody else. So I'm not sure whether um, if the F- FCC can demand an app whether what they're really doing is they're saying we're going to force all of the broadcast media companies to actually compete alongside the um, the, the non-US uh, providers, and I'm not sure if that's going to end up meaning that we have a, a, a an open playing field, if, if that makes sense. And in a related news article that you've put here in the notes, um, uh, there is significant discussion about the United Nations taking over the running of ICANN, uh, ICANN being the 
the entity that controls IP addresses and DNS is the simplest way to put it. When you when you register a domain name, you may pay for it through uh, GoDaddy or um, somebody else. I can't GoDaddy's the only one I can think of right now. Um, but you're actually buying it from ICANN, uh, who is then sub uh, selling it to this other company, and that that has been owned by the U.S. Uh, the like the for example the root DNS servers are in the U.S. simply because we invented the technology. Sorry to be chauvinist, but that's the way it is. We invented it, so it's it lives here. Uh, and so there's a, a resolution, I guess is the right word for it. I, I'm not sure. There's there's talk of um, the UN taking over the Internet Corporation for assigned names and numbers and running it as an international entity. Uh, I don't know that I have a strong opinion about this either way, but it is the de-Americanizing of the Internet. Seth, what are your thoughts? Well, the U.S. is turning it over. That part's already been decided, um, and the official turnover date's coming. The, the the part that this story is bringing out is that the U.N. could then step in and take control over that organization. And that's the part that, you know, I don't know. I, I you know, I mean, this isn't, this isn't, political rant but i don't have a lot of respect for the un's ability to not screw up stuff so yeah and one of the this website has videos (laughs) one of the concerns (laughs) is that uh the un is comprised of not entirely democratic organizations and so at this point you're letting a dictatorial or repressive regime have say and potential control over the way Americans access the internet. And so, you know, American chauvinists are crying foul at that. I I would go the other way is to say that, you know, Americans have had control over it for longer than they should. And I think it's appropriate that an international body control it. But at the same time, there's very little control. It's really administration, not so much control. Miles, what are your thoughts? No, I agree. Uh, uh, You know, it's, um, it's it, having lived half of my life overseas outside of the US it's easy to be outside of the US and then and moan and groan about US interventionism in you know sovereign business of other countries and so on um yeah i get that but at the same time i also think in terms of who would you want as the world police um the US is actually a pretty good ally out there in terms of that market and for me uh I'm all for it. And when it comes to the internet, I mean, we all know what the internet's effect has been on certain areas of the country with things like the Arab Spring um, and censorship and, and all of those things. And the U.S. has brought a sense of freedom to the internet, which, uh, okay, look, it's not perfect, but I tell you what, it's a, it's a lot better than the Great Firewall of China. And if we put this in the hands of an organization that any of those entities have some form of veto power or can influence the direction or so on, I don't want to see the great firewall of planet Earth going around. So right now I'm, I'd am i like to leave it as it is, but my concern is that this is up for, uh, it's a natural Passover to the UN set for October the 1st, I believe, and I don't know if our Congress will be able to step in and change that, um, let alone do anything. Uh, you know, we've got the whole government shutdown thing on the cards right now. And I don't think that this is even going to register to them as something important. And my fear is that this will just naturally fall to the UN and we won't have any input or any way to stop it. 
and then afterwards we're going to be trying to claw everything back and it's going to be a it's not going to end well a couple of Republican congressmen, Senator Ted Cruz of Texas and Rep- Representative Sean Duffy of uh, Wisconsin, uh, have introduced the Protecting, Protecting Internet Freedom Act, PIFA, which would prevent uh, the ICANN transfer without congressional approval. Um, that smacks to me of conservative political rhetoric uh, that that – we're protecting freedom by preventing the control. We're 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 protecting American hegemony, uh, which you know. Let's call it that. If that's what it is, let's call it that. Um, and and I'm okay with it. Frankly, I'm okay with protecting protecting American hegemony in this case. But um, let's not pretend that this is a freedom thing. It's really not because all I can does is match up disney.com to 217.98.34.75 don't i don't have no idea what that actually goes to don't don't put that in your browser I, i'm not responsible for somebody putting those numbers <laughs> to your browser <laughs> but the, the what this means is we would now have to you know um have a subset of our own DNS. And, and this, that's how people get around the Great Firewall of China now. That's how the Arab Spring works. It wasn't people using the standard systems. They were passing IP addresses back and forth, and they were uh, broadcasting things on Twitter and saying, you know, here the feed is here. So none of these things, uh, this doesn't, there is no way that I can can prevent the free flow of information. They can make it more difficult. Uh, they can't prevent it. And so by moving ICANN from the U.S. to, uh, let's put it in North Korea, let's be just super extreme about it, that still doesn't harm Internet freedom. It just makes things a little more difficult. So this should really be called Protecting American Comfort Act. Um, any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, okay, just because that's what ICANN does now, again, you're also you're forgetting the inevitable government creep that comes into everything and so what happens you know i i don't know i just yeah hey I, i'm an american i'm i'm american first and a world citizen second so go america uh you know we i would like it better if it was here i understand the rest of the world complains uh but you know what happens whenever my fees go to the un process to you know equip orphans in the sub-saharan desert with backpacks and ipods you know and and that's what they're using the fee for uh just crap like that that's a stupid example i know but i just i you're adding a level of bureaucracy to something and that's never a good thing agreed so you know the the answer here is clearly um, elect more bureaucratic, uh, non-technical people to form a subcommittee about how to do this. <laughs> There's no way to mix politics and technology. It, it just doesn't work. Uh, uh, geeks are not political, and pol- politicians aren't geeky. Those are both overstatements. Those are both false, but they're also both true. Right. It, it's like It's like ex-geeks become politics and they are very well versed with the technology that they had when they got out of the geek life to sell their soul to Satan and join politics. And then all of a sudden they think they're an expert on anything that comes down the technology pipe since then. And, you know, as, as we all know, you know, I learned whenever 
Windows 3.1 was still around and NT4 was a big deal and Windows 2000 had just came out. And now I could be an expert on that, but the rest of the world would look at me and say, so what? We've moved on. And that's unfortunately, be, you know, the way politics are, they're slow and reactionary and geeks and technology are fast and forward thinking. Doesn't really have anything to do with the conversation, but that's just an observation. <laughs> And so while we're talking about politicians trying to get a handle on um, technology, uh, the European Union has decided that they're going to form an organization that uh, has something to do with Bitcoin money laundering. They're not really sure what or how it's going to work, but we have an organization. Yeah, there was a bunch of FUD and rumors whenever um, about the, I think it was the uh, terror attacks in Paris being linked to Bitcoin money transfers. Uh, no truth has ever been proven on that. But anyway, it started a groundswell in Europe to kind of uh, allow them to push. And so they have created this uh, Bitcoin money laundering division that has people from um, Interpol, Europol, and this other place that they're going to get together. And basically, they're what they want to do is map out who owns which uh, Bitcoin wallet. And so they'll have a database on that and they will be able to track any, and okay, I mean, I, Bitcoin is a form of money. It's a form of currency. So they will be able to track where the digital currency goes between people. And, you know, it's just another way for government to know um, who you are and what you're doing. Of course, it's for the children. Don't you love children? They don't want the terrorists to win, all that kind of crap. I think it's... Um, in one hand, I think it's very bad, but, the, you know, it's already been proven that Bitcoin isn't anonymous, that it can be traced. Uh, the FBI and other American agencies have done that by digging into the blockchain. So I wonder if this couldn't turn out to be a good thing to get more people used to the idea of Bitcoin and establish it as a uh, more well-entrenched currency. So by oh, man. by saying that it can be used by criminals, that makes it better? Is that what you just said? No, no. Okay. By them tracking who has, by them tracking, you know, oh, this guy uses this wallet address, this person uses this wallet address, you know, are they legitimizing Bitcoin? I, I personally think that what they're doing here is just, you know, um, a power grab, but I wonder if it could be used to make Bitcoin more popular. I think what they're doing is stupid, but it was just a thought. I thought I would throw it out there. <laughs> Miles, what are your wow. thoughts? Well, I was at a, a fintech conference uh, back in February this year, I think it was. Uh, and one of the guys who was at the conference happened to be the finance minister for the Isle of Man. So the Isle of Man's a little island off the coast of the UK. It's uh, considered sovereign territory when it comes to... Uh, finance and that sort of thing it doesn't have to abide by the uk government regulations and uh i had a chat with this guy and he was you know basically his position was that bitcoin is an opportunity for the isle of man in the same way that um i don't know money laundering was to the cayman islands um this is somewhere where they're going to make an enormous amount of wealth and money at offering banking services using this this technology and they want to in on it all the way. Um, if you look at other parts of the world, you you know you think in terms of say online gambling, all the online gambling, which is 
running under high regulation in the United States and uses Bitcoin was all moved offshore to the Caribbean, to Panama, to areas like that, because their uh, economic climates were allowing them to function without uh, a lot of regulation, without limit. And this is all, all the EU are going to do is to push more people outside of the EU to do their banking. So, okay, maybe Switzerland and its banks aren't the place you put your money anymore. Maybe it is the Isle of Man. Maybe it's Canada. Maybe it's the Caymans. I don't know. But I do know that, that the UK just did the big Brexit thing. And you can think that if the EU wants to keep pushing um, a a uh, regulatory framework with no teeth and not everybody wants to join it it's just another part of a long term everybody's want to going to want to brexit the eu so i mean i mean i'm going from where we are today to an extreme future that may never happen but i just don't think this is going to end well for anybody well let's let's call this what it is this has nothing to do with money laundering this is all about taxation bitcoin yeah. is anonymous therefore we don't know how to tax you um, and if they build this database that the the Softpedia article talks about that that mat- ties up real world addresses with Bitcoin addresses, and we already have that in in the U.S. If you if you do Bitcoin uh, transactions through a real bank, the U.S. banks are, are required to to know who their customers are. So, for example, when I signed up with Coinbase, they made me verify my identity uh, by giving them uh, information like the bank account of my real world bank account. Now, you don't have to do that. There are other ways you could go. But if you're going to do uh, through a, a, a U.S.-based organization, you have to do that for this very reason. They don't want anonymous transactions to happen. They need, uh, in, uh, they, they're going to say it's for the children, Seth. They're going to say it's about fighting crime. They're going to say it's about keeping drugs off the street. But it's all about taxation. They want to be able to, to pull up my records and see how much money I had come in from Bitcoin so that they can tax it. And, and again, this is all smoke and mirrors. We're going to say it's about fighting crime when it's really about buttressing our own flagging economy. Right. And if they can figure out how to tax it, then obviously they won't have a problem with it as a currency. So, yeah. no, you know, I, I don't know. I, you know, here's the way I look at it. And I will just tell other people um, the way I look at Bitcoin for tax purposes is I know how much money I have put into Bitcoin. And once I take more than that out, it will become taxable income until then. It's just an investment. And it's sort of like how if you want to if you bought a stock at 50 and it's currently worth a thousand, you don't pay taxes unless you sell it. So, you know, that's the way I look at my Bitcoin you know, you do whatever you feel like um, if you ever turn a Bitcoin profit, if I ever turn a Bitcoin profit. But I, I don't know. I think this is stupid what they're doing, but I don't have really any power to stop them. But kind of like in a silver linings department, I think it would give more legitimacy to Bitcoin um, if something like this happens. And again, if you I'm talking about the silver linings to a crappy cloud. <laughs> Miles, what do you think about the tax implications of a fully digital, non-governmental currency? Uh, I think the only place they could tax it would be at the on and off ramp. So that would have to be at the exchange. Once you've got keys and that they're yours, whether it's in your phone or it's on Coinbase or it's in an offline cold storage wallet, they're your keys. I mean, you have them. You have the, you know, you have control. 
Um, but it's the only point where they'd have leverage would be at the exchange where you where you buy them. So you can transfer fiat currency for, for cryptocurrency. At that point, they could impose some form of a tax. And then, as, as Seth was pointing out, if there's been an appreciation in the asset value of the Bitcoin, and then you go to unload them back to fiat, they'd have an opportunity at that point to impose a tax, whether it be at the, again, at the exchange point, like a sales tax is imposed, uh, or whether it's actually on your tax return where each nation you know, taxes it according to their regulations. But I think once the money's inside of the crypto world, it's really, really hard to tax it, and it's really hard to control it. Um, I can buy a $27 little Ledger wallet, which is like a USB key from a company out of Paris, and I can plug it into my computer, and I can transfer a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin to that little Ledger wallet, because it's just containing keys, and I can go down to the airport, jump in a plane, and fly my way to anywhere in the world I want, and when I walk through customs, there's no way that they're going to be able to intercept that as a transfer. Yet, if I carry 10,000 US dollars in cash, they're all over it. And until they realize that the borders that do not apply to internet-based currencies, and they have to be policed, and they have to be taxed and and treated differently, will they ever have a chance at even understanding a way to, to regulate this? So, I don't think there's any way. I think that if they attempt to do it, they're going to open up a world of opportunities for people who will, who will thwart it. Yeah, I think most people are unaware of how much monitoring there is of banks in the U.S. Um, uh, you know, let's say, for example, uh, I sell a house and I $300,000 because I sold a $300,000 house goes into my bank account. Whether I report that or not, people find out about that. There, there are rules about that. When that much money comes in, uh, it's got to be reported, and it goes places. And if at the end of the year I don't file some some uh, paperwork saying that I made a three hundred thousand dollar profit, um, people are going to come calling. Uh, and, and I don't know about the rest of the world, but I know that's definitely how things work in the U.S. Now, if I sell that house for Bitcoin and stick it on a USB key. There's nobody to notify anybody. And then if I, you know, uh, that's where the term laundering comes from, where, where you take uh, illicit money and you make it uh, legal money. So now I take that, those Bitcoins, that's $300,000 worth of Bitcoin, and I dribble them out in $10 increments here and there. That's not going to raise anybody's uh, flags. That's not, uh, nobody's going to pay any attention to it. And I have, um, in the minds of a government agency, I have illegally subverted uh, the process by by bringing in $300,000 worth of income that they don't have the opportunity to tax. Currently, there are no laws regarding cryptocurrency because, you know, the there there really can't be. It's it's just numbers and there's no laws about numbers. People are trying to do that. The EU is trying to to have this, you know, uh agency and when they talk about money laundering, that's exactly the kind of crap they're talking about. They're not talking about Colombian warlord uh, laundering money. They're talking about everyday, uh, regular, you know, Pablo citizen, um, Joe citizen, Pablo, because it's in the EU. See what I did there? Anyway, they're talking about just regular Pablo citizen um, who is who is quote unquote laundering money. Anywhere, in other words, hiding income, but he's doing it in in a way that is currently not illegal because it's 
it's non-governmental. There's no there's no legal structure. So they want to create a legal structure so that they can declare it illegal. That's my reading of these tea leaves. I can't disagree with you on that. I think that that is highly likely. That's exact because you know, like I say, they used a whole lot of crap to set it up anyway, um, using unproven rumors to create the pretext to set up this organization. So that on that right there tells you how up and up it is. Um, because you know, governments don't do anything unless it's for the sole benefit of the people they govern. That's in the mandate. No government would ever do anything to harm its constituency or take power from its constituency or monitor its constituency in any way whatsoever. So obviously there's a great need for this Mark. And if we could only see the light of what they're trying to do, I'm sure that we would uh, agree with them that this is for the best. It can't end well, though. I mean, it, it, do you guys know what the FACTA uh, Act is in the United States? F-A-C-T-A? I can't even remember what it stands for. Um, basically, what it means is that if you're classed as what they call a U.S. person, a U.S. person would be a resident of the United States, a citizen, a green card holder, anybody of that nature, you are not allowed to open a bank account outside of the U.S. or hold um, assets outside of the US without declaring them to US authorities first. And it's caused the greatest problems ever because it's a law that basically leverages the banks and puts US force on top of international banks to actually do paperwork for US persons to the point where a bank in Switzerland, a bank in China, or a bank in Paris doesn't want to have US customers anymore. And so if you're a U.S. traveler and you travel the world, you do business overseas and you want to buy a house on the south of France or whatever, you are so, it's going to make next to impossible for you to do that as a regular person due to all of these banking regulations and things that have been put in place because God forbid you're laundering money and not telling the, the government about it. This is exactly the problem that the EU will find themselves in. They will create so much regulation over their own people that their own their own people can't do business outside of the EU. We become siloed within our own regulations so that we're no longer an attractive customer to another country. And that's it's wrong. It's just not going to work. And it puts everyone at a very, very difficult and uncompetitive position. Yeah, the only reason it still works for America is because we're still the richest country in the world. So um, I don't know how much longer this is going to last, but once it does, all of a sudden it will dry up. I mean, there's been several times where I've went to, I was like, ooh, this looks cool. I would like to do that. Uh, you know, even whenever, even, I'm not just talking about play money. I'm talking about looking for investments. And then I look at it and all of a sudden I'm, I can't because I'm a U.S. citizen and it's the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act is right. uh, what Thank the you. acronym Thank stands you. for. And yeah, but they just they don't want to mess with the headaches that doing business with an American citizen involves. So here's, and, here's the, the basic, super simple, I just read it on the IRS website, I don't know what to think about it, breakdown of the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act. If you're a bank who does business with America and you do business with American citizens in your own country, you give the right to the American government to uh, access your records 
for the purposes of taxing American citizens with foreign accounts. Whether that income ever crossed America, American lines at all, the fact that the person who has the, the account is an American citizen, according to the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act, means that everything they earn, wherever they are, is taxable by the U.S. government because they were, they're citizens of the U.S. And so you, you by entering in an agreement with uh, uh, an American bank, meaning you want to take Visa, you now have to uh, allow the IRS access to your records so that they can go fishing for people who haven't paid income tax on money not earned in their country. That's my yeah. quick summary of it. And reading yeah, stuff like this correct. makes me think that maybe giving I can to the UN isn't such a bad idea. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, this is just a this is a case of America, you know, hey, we have the biggest economy and if you want to do business with us, bend over baby, we're taking ours now is really kind of what it is. And it works because we're the, we're the number one economy in the world and so people want a piece of that, so they have to they have to take their lumps to get in, you know, blood in, blood out kind of thing. And uh, and the European Union says, hey, it's working out so good for America. We want a piece of that action, too. So they're uh, they're trying to flex their regulatory muscles and take a piece of everybody else's pie. So other than a couple of weeks in Canada, I've never spent any time out of the country and I've never earned any money out of the country. So it actually never occurred to me that that the birthright of my American citizenship means that any money I earn anywhere in the world they get to take a piece of. Um, that, that is correct. I, yep. I, I'm not okay with that. If, if I uh, move to Germany and I've been in Germany for 10 years and I build a business in Germany and I, and I earn money in Germany, the fact that I was born in the U.S. doesn't mean the U.S. has any rights to that money. And frankly, this had never occurred to me because I'm not a world traveler. But that's, uh, <laughs> that's not okay. I'm just, I know. I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> But I, yeah, you know, it's fun times, fun times being an American citizen. So, you know, uh, we can't go do like an ICANN conference in Germany with the Element OP Network and take any money because then we would be subject to paying not only German taxes on it, but also U.S. taxes on it as well. Yay. Go taxes. (laughs) I mean, I, I understand being out of the country and having to file a tax return saying, I didn't earn any money in the country this year, but just to keep tabs on it. But to file a tax return on money that I earned out of the country, that just doesn't, that just seems entire. I'm, I'm really blown away by that. The, the conservative uh, uh, po- political animal inside me is now slavering and angry about the fact that, that that happens. And I'm sure other people have known this for years. It just, I didn't know that. And, and this is amazing to me that the the American government, you know, the the big boss of the world would go to to a bank in Bolivia and say give me all your records. Um yeah, I, I, if I were that bank in Bolivia, I wouldn't take American customers. I I totally get that now. Yeah, that that's exactly what's happening. Um the other thing is that it's not just the IRS that are involved in this. You have to file two returns. One is part of your regular tax return to declare income generated for tax purposes and so on that's part of it there's a separate return which i believe is filed prior to june 30th 
that goes to a different agency or it may be through the IRS on behalf of FinCEN or one of the other agencies that um, you have to declare assets that you have overseas. If you do not do that, the U.S. government has the right to seize them. So if they discover something that you own, real estate, gold, whatever it might be, and you've not declared that because you didn't know you had to or your accountant gave you wrong advice or or some reason, they can take it. Uh, they can take, I think, 50% on the first case. And the, 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 the fines are draconian and there's jail time and the whole bit. And a lot of times this has caught innocent people off guard. For example, maybe a retired couple who decided they wanted to move to, I don't know, Costa Rica to live their, you know, their retired years or to Argentina or wherever. Or maybe they lived in the United States for half of their life and they want to return home to Japan or whatever it might be. Because of their citizenship with the United States, they're forced to continue to file these returns until the day they die. There is no, there's no way of getting out of it. It's... And most other countries give you the right to exit and be a non-resident for tax purposes. The United States does not. No matter where you live, you're going to be filing these returns forevermore, declaring everything you've got outside of the U.S. In case, and if you do it wrong, bye-bye assets. Wow. Yeah, and occasionally you see the stories about some rich person renouncing their U.S. citizenship. This is the reason why. Yeah. That made me sad. Seth, give me something to to brighten my day. What happened this week in history? Okay. This week in history, um, September the 12th, 1958, Jack Kilby demonstrates the first integrated circuit. Uh, Jack Kilby successfully tests the first integrated circuit at Texas Instruments to prove that resistors and capacitors could exist on the same piece of semiconductor metal. His circuit consisted of a sliver of germanium with five components linked by wires, along with Bob Noyce, or N-O-Y-C-E. He is considered the inventor of the integrated circuit. That happened this week in history, all the way back in 1958. Go yes. Texas. Somebody had to do it first, right? Somebody yeah. had to take a resistor and a capacitor and put them together on the same chip. It seems so elementary, but somebody had to do it first. Well, yeah, well, somebody had to get it to work first. Right. I'm sure he might not have been the first one who tried, but he was the first one who got it to work. There's a documentary about uh, Bob Noyce and and probably Jack Kilby as well as they transferred the uh, technology and moved it into the Silicon Valley and then everything that followed on from that that built the Silicon Valley. And I believe uh, I'm gonna. I believe it's called the Podmaster, P O D M A S T E R. If you search it, uh, you should find it. It is an awesome documentary if you're into um, silicon history. It's very, very well done. I can't remember who did it. I think it might be a British documentary, but well worth watching. And if you've ever wondered, dear listener, why silicon is the thing that everything's made out of. It's because it's both a resistor and a uh, conductor. It's a semiconductor. There are other semiconductors, but silicon is the one that's dirt cheap. Literally, dirt. Go dig up some sand, heat it up, you have silicon. Um, and you can make, depending on how much silicon you put in a in a line, you can make it both a resistor and a c conductor. So it can be both a wire and a resistor. And it's not unique in that it can do that, but it's the cheapest substance that you can do that. So you literally just go dig a hole in the ground and make computer circuits out of it. That's pretty cool. 
I mean, I super simplified that, but that's pretty much how it works. That's cool. All right. This is the part of the show where I tell you how you can feed back to us. Go to elementop.com, click the contact us button at the top of the page, fill out the world's hardest captcha and uh, fill out the form. And that sends a nicely formatted email that gets priority in my inbox. You can also call uh, 559-IMOP, leave a voicemail on our Google voice line, and uh, we will put you your voicemail on the show unless I don't like you or you curse at me. Uh, but otherwise, we'll probably put you there. Uh, but we, we, I'm interested to hear what you say. I'm certainly interested in because we brought up some tax stuff and some and some currency stuff and definitely some world uh, politics thing. And I know we have um, a fairly significant portion of our audience doesn't live in the U.S. So I'm interested to hear what you have to say about these, you know, uh, about you know the U.S. giving up ICANN or the whole taxation of Bitcoin. What do you think? Uh, go to elementop.com, click the contact us button, and let us know. And now, Seth, what do you have to lower my productivity so that you look like a better hiring option? All right. Well, today I found out. At todayifoundout.com, you can find all kinds of interesting short facts. And I would reckon there's some factoids in here as well. Um, uh, the subtitle of the website is Feed Your Brain. So why do Daft Punk dress like robots? Um the truth about Lord Padgett and his leg, the silver lining about the worst movie ever made, how Laserdisc ultimately won the format war, and where the term bootlegging came from are, are, are all articles you can find at todayifoundout.com. That's awesome. And so this one has my attention. The silver lining of the worst movie ever made. I wonder what they call the worst ever Mac and me. Oh, the, a ripoff of E.T., where he, instead of eating um, uh, Skittles, it was Reese's Pieces. I remember, oh, that was sad. It was so sad. Um, <laughs> um, so what's the silver lining? I'll have to read that article and find out. And then today, you'll be able to say, today I found out. So, yeah, anyway, you know, it's an interesting article. It's uh, it's useless trivia and random bits of facts that I'm sure the per most of which are true. So, you know, if you can't trust strangers to collect stuff on the Internet, you know, then it is a sad world we live at indeed. Ronald McDonald appears in the film's most infamous scene, which features an impromptu, almost 10-minute-long choreographed breakdance featuring dozens of dancers inside and around a McDonald's restaurant that is never adequately explained. <laughs> nice. Um, I, I, I saw that movie. I'm pretty sure I did, like on television. Um, and clearly, it didn't make an impression on me because I don't remember anything about it other than the Reese's Pieces. Uh, so today I found out that other people agreed that was a terrible movie. It's not even the so bad it's good list. It's just the bad list. All right. Well, uh, Miles, any final words before we say goodnight? No, I think I've worded myself out. I think I'm all good. Seth, any last bit of wisdom to drop on us? <laughs> I, I will pass. Okay. Well, I'll just say thank you guys for hanging out with me. Uh, listener, thank you for listening. We had a couple of people uh, in the chat room. That's always cool to get some feedback there. We record every night at 7.30, not every night, every Sunday night at 7.30-ish p.m. Eastern. Uh, you can go to elementopcom slash live and check us out there. Um, or you can uh, always uh, watch it on YouTube after the fact. If you just want to see Seth's orange face, you can do that. Uh, but always uh, the best thing you can do for us is tell people about it. Rate us and review us on whatever platform 
that you like, and then go do iTunes as well. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, we'll see you next week, Chris. Uh, no, see, Chris, Seth. That just I <laughs> fell into to robot mode. Miles, Seth, <laughs> thanks for for being here and uh, for giving me. I honestly didn't want to do the show tonight. I was tired, got a bit of a headache. Seth uh, sent me a text and said we're going to do the show, and I was like, I'd really like you to talk me out of it. Uh, but he his powers of persuasion failed, and we did the show. And as always, no, no, I had no, a great no. time doing it. He said, I'd like you to talk me out of it. I said, so we're not doing a show. <laughs> he said, yes, we are. Yeah, because you, you you failed. You didn't talk me out of it. You One good reason, like, you know, I, I don't want to drive would have been fine, but you're not driving, so that you couldn't use that. So I gave you, know. you two reasons, the Cowboy game and your foosball <laughs> table. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it uh, I when I once I got here, I had fun as I always do. So thank you for in, in, in brightening up my evening. And uh, that's it for now. We'll see you next week because that ends this episode. <laughs> <laughs>